possessed. Possessed. Unfortunately, when you hear the word possessed, the first thing that comes to our minds is something negative. Uh, generally, when you hear possessed, you think of demon possession. Yeah. Unfortunately, Satan has cornered the market on that word because the very first person who wants to possess your life is Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to take possession of you. And not only does he want to possess you, he wants your possessions as well. And so for seven weeks, we are going to lean on this subject. We're so glad that our conference president, uh, Dr. Uh, William Cox, will be with us in two weeks to help us begin that. Amen. Well, over the next uh, two Sabbaths, I want to do the best I can to uh, start what I think is the foundational issue in how we express our Christianity. In other words, and Pastor Colton said this the other night. He said, many of us are trying to set resolutions instead of being resolute. Yes, and I have found that to be true. In order to do properly, you have to be. And oh, let me say that again. In order to do right, you got to be right. It starts with being first. It starts with our hearts first. We are people that actually believe from center to circumference. We don't, we don't look at the opposite. What I mean by that is, if you got a big balloon... Uh, our thought process is, is that the balloon is not rising because of what's on the outside of it. It rises because of what's on the inside of it. And in order for us to become just like Jesus, our theme for 2013 is in step with Jesus. Can you say that? In step with Jesus. So all year, starting first with this thing called possessed, dealing with God taking possession of our lives, all year long we want to deal with this thing of following Jesus wherever he wants to go. At the end of the day, the church's main focus should be Jesus Christ. And if we can get in line with Jesus, I think we'll be ready for him when he returns. Would you say amen? amen. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Very familiar passages of scripture. I pray that we will be able to understand what God wants us to understand today. And wants us to identify uh, as important for us as we move forward in faith. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The Bible says, the New International Version, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So here was a man, just like last week, we looked at the rich young ruler, um, a man of status, a religious man. People looked up to him. He was of the ruling council. When he walked into a room, people stood up, shook his hand, and spoke well of him. But the Bible says that this man of all this importance came to Jesus at night. I heard Walter Pearson preach on this one time. The title of his sermon was Night School. <laughs> Jesus schooled him at night. <laughs> but this man of great standing, who was known for being the man during the daytime, the Bible says in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. He's already wrong, amen? He's more than a teacher. How many know he's God, Amen. He says, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus has at least gotten to the point as a Pharisee where he's willing to admit, okay, I'm not necessarily ready to call you God, but the stuff you're doing can't be denied anymore. I mean, God is definitely with you. The Bible says in verse, uh, in verse 3, Jesus just kind of changing subjects and just kind of getting to the real issue. I like how Jesus does that. Jesus will always call our bluff. You can come to him on everything else and try to talk all around the subject. Jesus says, in reply, he says, I de I, I, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. <laughs> 
Funny thing is, Nicodemus didn't even come asking him about being born again. Nicodemus came to shoot the breeze about theology, came to shoot the breeze about the, the miracles he was doing. And Jesus said, man, we ain't talking about that. You need to be born again. And that's the reason why you came here at night. Because you got issues. But because of your self-importance, stay with me for a moment, because of your self-importance, because of your dignity, because of your reputation, because of your, and here's the issue we're going to talk about today, because of your opinion about yourself, you felt at a need to come talk to me at night when you saw me all day long. But you are ashamed to show humility. You are ashamed to be real because you got some stuff you're dealing with. Listen, I don't want to talk about, you need to be born again. And then notice what, 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 what he says in verse 4. He says, how can a man, Nicodemus, trying to, still trying to get deep, philosophize, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. I'm sure he thought he stumped Jesus a little bit. And he says, surely, I like that, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. What are you talking about, Jesus? And then Jesus says this, and this is really what we want to get to today. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Get this, y'all. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. This is a powerful statement, very definitive. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of what, everybody? Water and the spirit. What a defining word from Jesus. There are so many things that we could say would determine whether somebody enters the kingdom of God. And I want to suggest to us right now, as a church, we have emphasized, we have emphasized things that generally do not fall within the context of this Bible verse. The Bible says the thing that will determine what, hear me y'all, the, the thing that will determine saved or lost is being born of water and spirit. Is that not what the Bible, did we just read the same text of scripture? Let's go on. The Bible says in verse six, now I love the logic of our Lord. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit, capital S, gives birth to spirit, lowercase s. Now we're not going to talk about it this Sabbath, but in the Sabbath to come, there are two different spirits that the Bible teaches on. There is the Spirit, the person, and then there is the spirit, the attribute of humanity. He says, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And I want for your, for our purposes today, spirit is another word for attitude. Spirit is another word for mindset. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us the, say with me y'all, the Holy Spirit gives us the attitude that is appropriate that will help us to get entrance into the kingdom of God. I need your help this morning. Verse 7 says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And, I, and I, the obvious question is this. Have you, do you know for sure that you have been born again? I want to suggest today the reason why Jesus is even dealing with this. Nicodemus is much like church, most modern day church people, even Seventh-day Adventists, probably more closely associated with a Seventh-day Adventist he represents more than anything. 
He knows prophecy. He knows the law. He knows the prophets. He knows what he's supposed to do. As a matter of fact, he is a high ranking religious leader. He is a person who people view Terry as a spiritual leader. If you're looking for biblical answers and uh, 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 looking for answers to biblical questions, you go and you ask Nicodemus. He is that guy. However, Christ saw something in him, much like the rich young ruler last week, where he said, you need to be born again. And so this is why this pastor is preaching this word today, because I had to ask myself the same question. I think we ought to all ask ourselves the same question. Not do you know the truth? Not are you a part of the remnant church? Get, get, stay with me right now. I, there is no other question that is more important than this one. All your church going, all your church attendance, you ought to be able to answer this question in the affirmative. Am I born again? Let, this is foundational. This is gra- grassroots. This is, this is primary. This is elementary to being a Christian. The first thing you ought to be able to know is, am I born again? Have I been born again? He said, you should not be surprised. (laughs) You know, in other words, that I'm saying you must be born again. Verse eight, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. I want to talk today just very briefly on being born again. All right. First, we need to understand two things here. The word to be born again. Somebody say again, circle that word in your Bibles. I'm going to do some teaching this morning. Circle the word again. This is that word again is what makes Jesus statement cause Nicodemus to say, what do you mean? Be born again. How can I how can I do that again? I already been born once. How am I going to be? Would you, would you want me to go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? But the, the key phrase here in understanding what Jesus is talking about is the word again. Everybody say again. In other words, be born again. It almost sounds like and Michelle uh, or, or Richard. You're there. I'm going to need your help. One second. On, on, this, on this organ. So keep it on. I'm, 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 I'm going to illustrate something. To be born again, there are two Greek words that could be used to explain again. Now follow me, follow me, follow me. There are two Greek words that explain again. In other words, if we're going to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to know what he means by saying be born again. Because like Nicodemus, we could come to the conclusion that being born again simply means, what is he talking about? Just go back in my mother's womb? I gotta, how can I do that? That's impossible. I'm, out, I'm here. And Nicodemus is like, he said, how can a man do this when he is old? Suggesting I'm an older man. I, I ain't going back to being no baby. Amen. <laughs> I can't go back there. And so Jesus obviously means something else, doesn't he? Right. So the word again gives us a revelation as to what he's talking about. There are two Greek words for again. The first one is the word palin, palin, P-A-L-I-N, palin. All right. This mean this word simply means Uh, A repetition of an act to redo. Somebody say redo to redo what was done earlier. Okay, to redo what was done earlier. In other words, if if you swept the floor and then people came in and they dirtied the floor and you said sweep the floor again, Palin, that simply means come and repeat what you already did. All right. All right. The second word, and this is the word that Christ chose, is the word anathen. Somebody say anathen. This uh, depicts, watch this, guys, repeated action 
but requires the original source to repeat it. All right, let me say that again. The first word, palin, is to be born again. That means if I tell you to do something, you come behind me and repeat what I've done. All right, Richard, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to play for me Amazing Grace, and I want you to do that thing. Play, just play a little bit of Amazing Grace on that organ. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Can I, can I have a turn now? Can I have? Okay. He just played Amazing Grace. By the way, I want you to know, because he is such a skilled musician, he did not play it as it is written. <laughs> what key was that in, Richard? F. F. Okay. Every good boy. Is that it? Is that the right key? All right. I am going to palin what he just did. The Bible says be born again. The first word suggests that you just repeat what was done. I'm going to play what he just played. I'm just going to do it on my own. Not one lesson. Not one lesson. Not one lesson. If Christ were saying, be born again, do what was already done, then guess what? We would fail. There is no way that I can repeat what he did because he's the original composer. He is more skilled than I am. He is a musician. When Christ is saying being born again, he's not saying to me, go and do exactly what you saw done. If he would have used the word Palin, he would have simply been saying, go and repeat, watch what, watch what happened, and go do that again. It is impossible to repeat spiritual acts by imitation. Say that one more time. You cannot imitate holiness. You cannot see righteousness done, especially being born again, see it and then try to do it. How many know I'm telling the truth in here today? Even if you do it and it looks good, and this is the key issue of the sermon today, what makes a thing righteous or unrighteous is motive. So even if Michelle can actually, she can actually do what he just did. If she watches him long enough, she can repeat the same action. But guess what? Michelle will not have the same interpretation of it because Michelle's situation and her experience is different from Richard's. So that's what God is not saying. God is not saying do what was done before. And let me tell you, we're going to show you in a minute. You cannot imitate spirituality. You cannot imitate holiness. And I'm basing, it, I'm basing it totally on what he's saying. 
He did not say, you must be born again, Palin. See what was done and repeat it. What he said, what the word means is, he says, you must be born again. He says, so the original person that did it the first time has to be the one that does it the second time. The only way that we can play that song again is if Richard himself plays it again. So understand what he is saying to Nicodemus here. He's saying the spirit, the, the issue of change. Somebody say change. How does one change their life? They don't. They don't. One does not change their life. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, it is possible through sheer willpower and social pressure to become like other people simply by the naked eye. In other words, there are many church people who are doing all the right things, but they are doing it and they've never been born again. You can do the right things and not be evidence that you are born again is not that you do right things. Let's find out what the evidence is. The evidence that we do right things is the spirit. You cannot fake the Holy Spirit. Not according to what the Bible says. Now don't get caught up on, on, on false representations of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the true fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and all long-suffering. You can't fake that. At least you can't fake it with God. Because man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. So I want to say this again. What makes a thing right or wrong is not what is done, but why it's done. I could be standing here preaching to you right now. People could be getting saved left and right. The Holy Spirit could be falling in your life. And what I am doing could not be acceptable to Christ because of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So let's be, let's be clear here. And I, and I don't have time really to get all into it. But Jesus' thing is this. If you're going to be born again, you've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. The thing about being born of the spirit, we know water represents baptism, right? But the thing, let's talk about the spirit. The thing about being born again by the spirit is that you have no control over that. You cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, uh, Case in point. If you have a child, right? A child contributes nothing to being born. Listen, when a baby is born, nobody walks into the hospital room and says, Whoa, that baby, that baby is something else. Oh, what a, what a tiger that child is. Fought his way. Dude, come on now. Give credit where credit is due. That woman, come on in here, somebody. Pushed. Come on, some, some of y'all for hours with no epidural. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen. And no man in there to count one, two, three, four, five, breathe. One, two, three, four. I remember Sinead, we had our first child and we went to the Lamaze class and everything and, and everything they taught me, man. When we got into the room, I told, I mean, when you see that baby coming, when you see that baby coming out, every, you ah, 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 oh my God, tears come down your face. 
we don't give credit to the baby because the baby is a passive recipient of the work of the mother. This is why Jesus is using the illustration of being born again. You are not born again because of what you have done. There is no, no attention should be brought to the child except a pacifier being plugged in its mouth so that it can keep its mouth shut when it's born. <laughs> we celebrate the baby, but we really should celebrate the mama who went through the pain and sacrifice of producing. But let's be real. Now, that's just a, a natural way of expressing it. But a child that is born, and this will bring meaning to somebody today, is not really even born because of a mother who pushed or because of a mother who carried that child in their womb for nine months. Come on, talk to me. The Bible says, even before you were born, I knew you and I saw you. So really, God is, even in the natural sense, God is responsible for your first birth. And what he is saying is, is the only way you can be born again is you have to have the original person who brought you here in the first place to get you to the second place. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You got to be born again. And the second move cannot be fabricated. The second one cannot be worked on. You can't go to enough church services. You can't read enough Sabbath school lessons. You can't study your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't do religious deeds enough. At the end of the day, the Bible says that which is of spirit is spirit. And here's the thing that bothers me, and I, I have to confess before God, one of the greatest fallacies of the church is our lack of, of our, our lack of focus and making important the work of the Holy Spirit. We have lifted up the Sabbath, we have lifted up prophecy, we have lifted up the commandments, we have lifted up everything over the very thing that makes us Christians in the first place. You can't even serve God right unless you have the Holy Spirit, the number one thing that we ought to be focusing on to cause lives to be changed is the work of an outside source. You cannot do it. I have learned that I cannot do this on my own. Even when I do right stuff, I'm not doing it for the right reasons. God's spirit. He, now, now notice what he says. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Now, we don't even mean, that's not heavy. How many of you are human beings? Any aliens in here? No, right? Why? Because you came. Is your mama a human? Huh? Was her mama human? Was her mama's mama a human being? Was the slave uh, out there on the plantation, were they human? That's because flesh can only produce flesh. So I want to break down a couple things here to, 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 to reset, to hit the reset button. Somebody say hit the reset button. We, gotta have, we need to be reprogrammed. Number one, what is flesh? When the Bible is referring to flesh, it is referring to human nature. It is not referring to your muscles and your tendons. It's referring to your nature. What do I mean by your nature? Your state of being. Your nature is flesh. 
Your nature is not spirit. In other words, I don't care how good your parents were when you were born or how moral or noble they were. You cannot pass down spirit. Spirit cannot be transferred. I I don't care how, how how much family worship you have. You know I believe in that. You cannot give. When Camden and Taylor were born and they came from my loins and from their mother's womb, they, they, are not, they are not saved because they were born to a preacher's family. And so I'm just going to take this side right here. That's why y'all shouldn't expect more out of my children than you expect out of yours. Because flesh only produces flesh. Are you understanding me? The next thing we need to ask ourselves, and let me add this here. It doesn't matter how developed and enlightened you get. When a baby is born flesh, they are born enemies to God. When a baby, uh, I mean, come on, y'all know when a baby is born, it's a beautiful thing. Listen, man, I ain't never seen an ugly baby. Now, y'all say that if you want to, y'all crazy. There is something beautiful about a brand new baby. Come on, y'all. Now, we get jacked up as time goes on. Come on, say amen. As life gets the best of us. But, but, but you have to be cold-hearted. You have to have grieved God's spirit to see a child laying on the street, uh, from, fresh from the womb of their mother, and have no compassion on a child. But understand this now, that child, that gagas and goo-goos and needs its diaper change and it's so cute and the cheeks and the elbows, they don't really ain't elbows, they just got dents in it and the knees ain't really knees, they just got dents and they're just so fat and soft and cute and they don't bother nobody. They are enemies to God and they are destined for hell. They cannot enter the kingdom of God because they've only been born of flesh. Children are not born with the Holy Spirit. You were not born. When you join the church, that doesn't mean that you got the Holy Spirit. And see, this is the thing that we ought to be uh, uh, emphasizing as the distinguishing aspect of what a Christian is. The Bible says in John 13, 34 and 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, Geraldine Anthony, if you have love. I don't think we understand what I just said. You are not a Bible-believing Christian on your way to heaven if you do not possess the love of Jesus Christ for God and for humanity. And that love can only come from the Holy Spirit. You can... Oh, I don't... Listen. You, you won't even love your children if you don't have the Holy Spirit. It is not natural to have love. It is natural to be self-serving. Case in point, some of us say we really love our children. It is not natural to love your children. It is natural to do for your children expecting something in return one day. Case in point, say if your children, all that you've done for them, anybody ever gave this speech before, and they're disrespectful to you. And don't sit up here and tell me none of your children have been disrespectful. Well, you at least smacked them one time. Even if they didn't get disrespectful in your face after that, there was a reason why you smacked them. There was a reason why they picked their lips up off the floor, right? Because it is in the nature of children to rebel against the source of blessing and love. 
Oh, y'all not hearing me here today. I'm trying not to be deep. I'm trying to tell you that it is in the nature of a child, in the nature of a parent to not love supremely. We don't love unconditionally without the Holy Spirit. Let your husband cheat on you. Or your wife. See, it is almost, it is almost, people will call you crazy. If your friends knew that you had a, had a spouse that was having affairs on you. And let's say they, they repented, they were born again, they came back for forgiveness. The world would call you crazy if you took them back. But you are not even a Christian if you do not forgive them. I didn't say you had to get back with them. But if you do not forgive them and real, listen to me now. Real, and let, let me, by the way, let me go back and say this. I see we got some laughter on that. Let me go back and say this. Do you realize that divorce, there are no grounds for divorce in the Bible? None. The Bible says that even in the case of adultery, he says that I allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. Two Christians that love God, that have made mistakes in their marriage relationship, if they love God, they can make mistakes, right? And if they repent and seek God together, even if one is stronger or weaker, the Bible says the only way that I will allow a divorce is if their hearts are hard. And even in that case, he says that it was not that way from the beginning. See, the kind of love, the kind of selflessness that we are talking about can only come from an outside source. What I want you to understand, if there's anything you don't get today, and this, the problem with this sermon is it doesn't really give you, it doesn't give you much hope. I have to do it this way. See, I'm going to tear you down to build you up because you have built yourself up for so long that you don't even know at what cost it took to save you. You don't even realize how wretched you are. I want you to leave here considering your ways. I want you to leave here saying, I, I need the Lord. I cannot accept simply a church attendance relationship with God. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not every other day. Not every. I need it moment by moment by moment. All right. Now. Now. Watch this. So we know what flesh is. Flesh is anything born of flesh. Right. That makes sense. Number two. How does a man become flesh? (laughs) I'm asking the same question different ways. Here it is. How does a man become flesh? Well, man does not learn to become flesh. He is born flesh. (laughs) Get that that there. You know, sometimes Christians throw out terms. We say carnal. Carnal is another word for flesh. So we say somebody is carnal, which means they're selfish, right? They're carnal Christians, which means they're unconverted. Because if you are a fleshy Christian, then you are not converted. You have not been born of the spirit. Okay? So we'll say, yeah, folk carnal, yada, yada. But they have always been carnal. Everybody in here is carnal. Everybody in here is flesh. If you got a mammy and a daddy, you flesh. Which means you subject to cuss somebody out. Whether you heard a cuss word or not. 
you ever noticed? Look, most of us think that, that, that unrighteousness is learned behavior. Listen to what I'm saying here. We think that unrighteousness is learned. Because if it's learned, then that gives us a reason to let people off the hook or to lift people up who never learned it. We say unrighteousness is learned. Let me tell you right now. You could have been born on the island of Hawaii. No, let's do better than that. You could have been born on, a, on an island by yourself. Your mama gave birth to you and she left and you were there all alone with Bibles, with good Christian music. I mean, the beautiful scenery, every food, shelter. Guess what? You're not near a ghetto. You're not near a crack house. You're not near crazy family members. You're not, you're not around the world. But guess what? If you were born of a woman, you are flesh. And if you are flesh, then you are not saved. You're born that way. And the battle of our lives is not the devil. The devil works through flesh. The devil didn't make us do it. The devil is not our enemy. Our enemy is enemy. Watch, watch this. What is the nature of flesh? That which is born of flesh is flesh. Here is no exception, no distinction, no amount of education, improvement, cultivation, morality, or religion can turn a man from being fleshy. Uh, for example, if I took a, a pig. Now, look, y'all. Man, we, we rescued this pig from the slop and muck and mire of a pig pen. We took that pig out. And bless your heart, we cleaned that pig. Oh, we cleaned it. My kids watched some pig on TV. What's the name of that cartoon? Olivia. Huh? Olivia. And Olivia's a beautiful pig. <laughs> so she's, she's, she's a sweet pig, too. Very nice. I mean, the whole show is about how, how much courtesy and how fancy she is. And she dresses very fancy. She got lipstick on the pig, yeah. She's, she's made up well. She is very respectful. Her brother is the bad one, but she's just a pig. But guess what? I, it don't matter where she came from. It don't matter what kind of education she got, what kind of cultivation she has, if she has manners, if she doesn't have manners, if she knows where the forks go, if she doesn't know where the forks go, the knives or the spoons, or if she knows how to have conversations about politics or not, if she's middle class or if she's lower class, guess what? She's a pig! That which is a flesh is flesh. You are pig. If you put lipstick on, you're pig. If you put a Sabbath school lesson under your arm, you're pig. If you come to church, you're pig. If you sing in the choir, you're a pig. I, I, I don't, if your skirt is long, you're a pig. You, your nature is flesh. If, no, watch what I'm, this is why the pastor is making this emphasis. And so, I don't know why this might be bothering somebody, but I hope it doesn't. 
Because if you have a wrong understanding of sin, you will have an improper understanding of salvation. Most of us think sin is what we do, but sin is not deeds. Sin is nature. In other words, you, you could have never done a, a bad thing. Never. Never lied, never stolen, never cheated, never done any of that. But if you were born... Do, do, are y'all following? You? If you were born of a woman, if Adam is your daddy, then you are flesh. You are a sinner. Your nature is sin. The reason why we cannot dwell in God's presence is not because we do bad stuff. It's because we are bad at the root. I'm going to show you this. Go with me to Romans 7, and I'll close. I'm going to give you a solution, but it ain't going to be fun. I'm going to give you a solution. I promise. Because some of us say, if all you're going to do is tell us, that, then how are people going to know whether they can overcome if you just gave them an excuse that they are always sinners? I'm not giving you an excuse. I'm giving you reality. If you do not understand your nature, you will not understand how to get out. If you don't know, if Lord have mercy. Has anybody ever got lost before and you were so lost, you didn't know where you were, so you couldn't even tell nobody how to come get you? But at least you got to admit, I'm lost. See, here's my problem with believers. We are very reticent and reluctant to admit our nature and our condition. If you are not Willing to embrace and understand. If anybody has ever been to a 12-step program, the first thing they tell you is admit it. Admit it. My name is Myron Edmonds, and I'm an alcoholic. Admit it. I was watching this show the other day called Intervention. And, you know, this is when they come in and they intervene on a family. There's a family that has some kind of addiction problem and, and it, got, it gets so bad that, that they'll send family and medical staff and other people into the home for an intervention where they will take them out of their environment and they will forcefully put them into treatment. The crazy thing is, is you'll see these people. I mean, when they intervene, they got they got a heroin. They got they got the needle in the arm. And then they, <laughs> the other day was amazing. And they will look you dead in the face. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If anybody's ever been an addict or knows addict, they will look you in the face and say, I don't have no problem. Amen. And some of them, when they high, I'm not high. I'm not a drunk. I'm not a liar. My nature is not sinful. We want to believe that we are good. We want so desperately to feel. And let me, and I don't have time really to get into this morning service. I have to get into the second service. Ego. If I had time today, I would tell you that one of the most important things that you could understand from the word of God is who you are in Christ. The reason why many of us struggle with self, Ellen White says, that self is constantly struggling for supremacy. 
I mean, it is as it is as if we are wrestling that flesh and spirit are wrestling. And, and I, if I'm flesh, I'm saying I don't care what kind of effort, what kind of force. I don't care how much church he goes to. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. <laughs> let me read. Let's read. Let's read this. And then let me tell you how to deal with the flesh, how we deal with the flesh. Romans seven. All right. Verse 14. And I, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for admitting it. Some of us need to say that right now. I am unspiritual. <laughs> now, if Paul can say it, <laughs> some of us hesitate to say it. You are unspiritual. If Paul can say it. <laughs> Lord have mercy. He goes on to say that he says, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. Hallelujah. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin. The word living there in the Greek means that they have a home. They have property. Listen to me. Sin lives, Sister Dixon, in you. It is there. It has a house, a car. It doesn't pay mortgage. Its mortgage is paid. It's a brick house. (laughs) It ain't going nowhere. I'll tell you, I, it, I've, got to, I've got to take you here so you can know where how to go here. Your nature will not change. You heard it me say. Your nature will not change until Jesus comes. Your nature will not change. I will tell you what to do with it, though. <laughs> All right, what verse am I at? 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Um, For what I do is not the good I want to do. Mm. Even when I do good, I, I didn't do it the way I really should have done it. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. He says, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I'm almost done. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Can I get a witness? Verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Verse 20, how many have that? How many want to serve the Lord? In my inner being, I want to do his will. The problem is not that. The problem is your flesh. Can I go on? Where am I? Tell me, because I lose my, verse 23. Huh? But I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging what? Against uh, the law of my mind. Lord, have mercy. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. If Paul can admit that, then you should too. Every 
day. Every moment. You have to tell yourself, I am wretched. The minute you start believing the hype about yourself is the minute that you have set your destination for hell with no U-turn. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but the sinful what? Nature is a slave. Now, now, uh, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit, capital S, of life, set me free (laughs) from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it weakened my sinful nature. This is the thing about the commandments. And this is why I'm, I mean, listen, the, the reason why we should uplift the commandments is because the commandments point to our condition. They reveal that we need the Lord. <laughs> Come on, where, where am I? Verse what? B. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be an offering. Now let's go to uh, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. And next week I'm going to give you more specifics of what it means to be a carnal church person. I ain't going to call you a carnal Christian because that's an oxymoron. You cannot be carnal and a Christian. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. They did you wrong. Your flesh says bump them. They are coming to apologize to me. It could be your spouse. They're not doing right. In your mind, I'm tired of this Negro. I'm tired of their mess. I have done, and there it goes, I, I have put up with enough, I, 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 it's like a broken record. I, I, look, where am I? Where am I? Verse seven, uh-huh, verse six, here it is. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the what? Is life and peace. Here, here it is, verse 7 and 8 and 9. It's what we're going to The sinful mind is hostile to God. Your nature is against God. You do not naturally want to serve the Lord. Some folks say, I come from good stock. <laughs> Case of four, I remember uh, I was dating this girl before Shanae. And. Uh, was advi- her, her mother advised her to break up with me because I didn't come from good stock. <laughs> now, I ain't know no better, but now I realize uh, she's right. But guess what she forgot? That her daughter... <laughs> Nobody comes from good stock. <laughs> that 
which is flesh? It's flesh. Where am I? Uh, uh, Verse 8, those controlled, now this is a key word here, those controlled, verse 8, and this this is why I'm dissing the sinful nature, the flesh, because you need to understand that it profiteth nothing. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Did you hear what I just said? Now, now let me help you out with this. If you do not have an attitude of a wretched person, which is desperation. Follow me now. If you, Genera, are not desperate, every moment for the spirit just to speak to somebody. See, what we do is we want the Holy Spirit for big stuff. But we do not want the Holy Spirit to control our nature that is like a running engine all day long. I don't know about you. I need the Spirit. I didn't always know this, though. I need the Spirit to be able to get in my car, turn on the, turn on the key, turn, turn the car on, drive down here to church, walk in the church, be nice to people, preach a sermon so that folk can be saved, then be nice to people when that's over, be loving, be helpful, not look for my needs first, but the Bible says preferring others first. I'll show you in a couple of weeks that that the mind of Christ never puts themselves first. Let me just help you this real quick. What we need is not to be more unselfish. What we need is to be self-forgetful. You don't even need to think about yourself at all. (laughs) That is your sinful nature. A couple of questions I want you to consider, then I'm going to read one last verse to tell you how to get out of it. All right? Anything that does not stem on you waiting on God is flesh. When you do not wait on God, that is being controlled by flesh. Anything that can be produced and done without depending on the Holy Spirit is flesh. You've been playing for a long time. I've been preaching for a long time. I can preach without the Spirit. And folk will get saved. You can play without the Spirit and nobody will know the difference. You can come in here and sit down in church and say amen and wave your hand, and guess what? It'd be flesh. You can rescue somebody from a burning car, save them and their children, and guess what? It'll all be flesh. Y'all see how important the Holy Spirit is? Not for big stuff, but for everything. Another, another, another thing is um, 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 anything that one can decide according to one's will and for which one does not need to seek God, God's will is flesh. In other words, this is why the world should think you're crazy, because you seek God for everything. 
Dumb stuff. What, I need a vacuum cleaner. I need to start praying. I was reading, I bumped across a statement from Ellen White yesterday that rocked me. She says that every house should have a self-denial box in it. A self-denial box. So I can't read what are you talking about. She says, because we're so selfish, she says the only reason, that's why we're going to our possessed series. She said the only reason, the only way to, to destroy selfishness is by giving. She says you need a self-denial box in your house so that every time you think of, of taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. ingratiating yourself, you, walk, you, put, you take out your wallet, you take you a checkbook and you put something in there because you're killing yourself. Talk about that later. <laughs> See, I think we think that self is good. See, the world teaches us take care of yourself. That ain't Jesus. Uh, whenever one's heart does not have a sense of utter helplessness and a need for complete dependence on the Lord, one is doing the works of the flesh. When you are not depending on God for anything, when you got to tell that person off, you have to speak your mind. You're going to fix that. If it is not bathed in the spirit, it is flesh. <laughs> All right, I'm done. So how do we get out of it? What do we do with the flesh? What do we do with it? He said, pray. <laughs> pray. But truth is, is, this is why prayer is so important. You know why prayer is so important? Because I need the Lord every five minutes. That's too, that's, too, that's too long. I need him every second. I'm constantly saying, God, check my motives. God, check my spirit. God, am I right with you? Am I, I, am, I am a fiend for his approval. The flesh, because the flesh cannot please God. Galatians 2.20. Y'all should, y'all should have known where I was going. <sighs> This is how we deal with the flesh. Galatians is before Ephesians. Let that praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. And after Corinthians. Bless your heart. Second Corinthians, that is. Galatians 2.20. This is how we deal with it as we, as we close this message today. Problem is, this, there, there's so much into this teaching that I can't even give you every step today. So I gotta, I, here's, here's, here's a short answer, though. How do I deal with my flesh? Well, kill it. Can't wash it. Can't clean it. You can't, you can't try to make it be good. You can't try to make it be nice. You have to kill it. Your identity, your opinion, your, uh, your uh, uh, persona must die. Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> he says, and I no longer live. Who no longer lives? I must die. Would you say that with me? I must die. I'm going to show you practically how to operate in that, okay? He says, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. 
Now, here's the crazy part. This is the part, and I'm done. How do we deal with this nature? It must be killed. Paul said, I die daily. It must be killed every day. It must be killed every moment. You must be like a, you must be a serial killer for yourself. You are at war, and you ain't at war against nobody up in here. You're not at war against uh, the papacy. You're not at war against Satan. First and foremost, because we do know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but when the Bible is saying that, it's not talking about sinful nature, it's talking about people. It just wants you to be clear, Richard, that you ain't, your enemy is not up in here. Your enemy is in here. I must die regularly. And so this is the attitude of a saved person. You are constantly not saying, oh, how are people going to think? What's going to be their opinion? How are they going to see me? What's my reputation going to be? How are they going to view me? Or, uh, or, or the opposite of that is, what, what's, what's my opinion of myself? Or, or, or this, I'm this kind of person. And I don't do that. And, and I'm this. And, and people need to know that. You know, okay. The Lord says, I, I don't want you. Your opinion of yourself means nothing. And the opinion of other people about you means nothing. Listen, how many know that we need, we need, listen, for every, listen, people always tell me, they say stuff like, I don't care what nobody thinks. Okay. (laughs) Because you said that demonstrates that you care that you want people to see you as somebody who doesn't care what nobody thinks. (laughs) Y'all miss that. When I said that, I said it because I wanted people to view me as somebody who didn't care how, uh, about how people think. You want people to perceive you as somebody who, it don't matter what you do to me. All that is is fear. Your opinion of yourself and people's opinion of you can go to hell. The only opinion that matters is Christ. So how does this operate practically? Because he says, he says, he, he says, uh, somebody, where's the text? Uh, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. In other words, this, and this is the problem we have. This is a hard saying. It sounds good because we've heard a lot. Songs have been written about it and books and so forth. But what does that mean? To be dead. Anybody dead in here? I mean, we look like we all alive to me. This is the, see, the, the truths of scripture are so beyond us, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, that we don't know how, the problem is not saying, amen, that's good, that's good, that's Bible, I agree with that, that's what the word says, but the problem now is, how do I kill, how do I slay this giant, even now, while I'm listening to this Negro preach? First, he says, by faith. You have to trust. What does it say? By faith in what? In what? Who who has the Bible? In the Son of God who loves. See, see, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm done. How do I know I'm saved? Because I trust. I can't see it. I cannot see it. 
I cannot feel it. I cannot manipulate it. But he says, he says, I've been crucified. How do you know, Paul? He says, I don't, I no longer live. How do you know, Paul? He says, he said, the life I now live in the body, he says, I know because I have faith. Righteousness is by faith. So how does it work? Do I just believe, 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 believe? Here's how it works. When I walk out in that hallway, just hypothetically, spirit will say, don't speak to that person. Avoid them. Not the spirit. My flesh will say, avoid them. Don't be bothered with them today. That's flesh. <laughs> and don't lie on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> spirit told me to not say a word to her. You will lie on the spirit. I'm just giving you an example, right? So how do I, how do I kill? How do I, how, how, what I do? I say, Father, the thought that just came in my mind is flesh. I'm aware of it. I know who's at work. Father, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and give him a hug. I can't do that. I know. Holy Spirit, help me yes, sir. Yes. to go and hug this person right now. Right now. <laughs> Listen, that's it. You are tempted with your nature. You admit that you have a problem. You give it to God. He gives you instructions. Then you do what he says. That's how you stay righteous. And this is why this once saved, always saved stuff is a lie. I was unsaved last week. <laughs> Catch me at the right moment. Come on in here, y'all. We need him all the time. And it's amazing. Adventists are always talking about we don't believe in once saved, always saved. You a lie. You don't believe it like they believe it. But you believe that once do good works, once obey the commandments, then I'm saved. You are kindling for hell's fire. You're combustible materials. <laughs> the only way we can even be righteous is we must be born again. Dependence, we need spirit birth. If you agree with me, would you stand to your feet? How many? We need the Holy Spirit. We need his possession of our, we need to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. I, I like, I, this thing is real. How many know this thing is real? If there's anything that you would at least consider doing today, consider looking at yourself. And compare yourself, not against other people, but compare yourself to Jesus. Only reason why I want you to do this is you will not get desperate for God if you do not see that you are a desperate person for God. Nobody goes and seeks help when they don't feel like they need it. As a pastor of this church, I lift my hands and confess right now that me, I've been dating the spirit. I never got married to him. I 
I use the Spirit. More than the Spirit uses me. <laughs> you have, see, you have to talk that way. You have to admit it. You have to say, oh, wretched man that I am. Like Paul, oh, the stuff I want to do? Uh-huh. Brothers, you got to admit, I have, I have struggled with lust. <laughs> Hiding and seeking is preparation for hell. Admitting, acknowledging, and confessing, God says, I can work with that. Anybody here today need the Holy Spirit? <laughs> is anybody here, the Bible says, to be born again, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. It is possible that there are some believers in here, and I'm not going to make this easy. I will not make this easy today. There are some believers in here today who need to be born again. If you are a believer, this is, a, this, is, this is not easy because nature says, how can I admit before all the church folk that I am a member of a church, but I am not born again or I need to be born again? Nobody wants to go out like that. But I'm trying to tell you, those are the folk who are going to be saved. Is there anybody in here today that needs to be born again? If you're here, I want you to come down right here, right now. Right now, you need to be born again. <laughs> I need to be born again. <laughs> and again, and again, <laughs> and again. Not born of water only, but born of the Spirit. <laughs> spirit baptism. Now, there may be somebody here today that needs to be born of water. You need to take the first step and give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to join this church. I want you to just lift your hand in the air right now if you're here. If you want to join this church through water baptism, water baptism, just lift your hands right where you stand. God bless you, my brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else need to join the church today? Just raise your hand. You may have been baptized already, but you need to join this faith fellowship where you can grow in the Lord and in his word. Then raise your hand. You have to say, I'm baptized, but I need to be a part of this church. I know the Holy Spirit. And see, that here, here again is how the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit tells you to do something and you do not do it, you are depending on flesh. See, I'm realizing that the Spirit is always talking to me and always telling me to do stuff. And that's why he gets on my nerves. <laughs> Amen, somebody? Amen. Anybody honest enough to admit it? Amen. He's always trying to get you to do stuff you don't want to do. Because you're so, so into preserving who you are. And the Lord says that nature is destined for the grave. Anybody need to join this church? Just lift your hand right where you stand. God bless you. God bless you. Church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Two brothers today. My brother in the back. Praise God. God bless you as well. Craig, will you go and get my brother? Go and get him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes. Now, who wants to overcome sin? Lift your hands. You want to overcome? <laughs> 
How many know that you cannot do that? You cannot do that. The spirit has got to do it in you. Because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. This is why we ought to be. This is what concerns your pastor. That we are not, that this church is not desperate enough. We do not carry ourselves like hungry, desperate people who need the Lord. We're looking for that person to run down the aisle with tears in their eyes and alcohol on their breath and say, oh, they need him. Praise the Lord. Everybody up in this piece (laughs) is raunchy and wretched. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, he says the heart is desperately wicked. I need Jesus. (laughs) I need the Lord. I need the Holy Spirit. I need him just to be able to be nice. (laughs) To be patient with people. To wait on God. To pray. (laughs) To read my Bible. (laughs) To turn the TV off. Y'all feel me? I need him. That kind of desperation to drive us to prayer meetings and drive us to Sabbath schools and drive us to our Bibles and drive us to prayer and drive us to worship and drive us to serve. But we're not desperate enough. We're all right. That is a lie from hell. We need God. And, and, and let me say this in closing. One of the things I've discovered And for anybody who's joining the church today, or for those of you who are new Christians, your need for God will not decrease the longer you are in the church. Your need for God should increase. Because the longer you are around God, the more you see yourself, and the more you see yourself, the more you realize how much you need God. See, an immature Christian is somebody who thinks that they have arrived. We need the Lord. (laughs) Oh, Father, right now. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) When I consider my flesh, how carnal I am, my nature, I hang my head in shame and in utter despair. But when I consider the way that has been made for me through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, then I say, how can I be lost? (laughs) Oh, Holy Spirit, right now, we're not afraid of our nature because we we realize that through your power, we got to kill it every day. We have to tell ourselves no. We're going to make a habit of telling self no and telling God yes. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. We need the Holy Spirit. We are desperate for your spirit. We can't live without your spirit. We can't move without your spirit. We cannot take your spirit for granted. We need you every second. We need you every hour. We need you to do small stuff, big stuff, in the middle stuff. We need your spirit, God. Spirit of the living God, help us. We are wretched, blind, and naked. Spirit.
Spirit of the living God. I need you to pray. I need you to pray today, saints, and ask for Spirit of the living God. Come into my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Those three gentlemen that have come, please go with Pastor Coxham. Let's give the Lord a hand praise this morning for his goodness, for his word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. God is good, amen. I'm going to invite the deacons to collect this morning's tithe and offering. You know, in 2013, I've made a decision I will honor the Lord with my substance and the first fruits of all of my increase just because I love him, amen? Just because he's been good. But then he promises that, that my barns, my, my issues will be filled with plenty. And my presses shall burst out with new wine. God is going to take care of you in the new year. Trust him with your substance. Praise the Lord. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Praise the Lord. God is good. I just want to make a quick announcement. Based on our 365-day uh, Christmas offering, we have raised now approximately $30,000. God is good, amen. And he is able. 30000 Amen. Amen. 30,000. Amen. Amen. God is able. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have been so good to us. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for the many blessings. Lord, we thank you for this offering, this tithe. And we ask that you just increase it as you see fit. Bless the givers and those who had not to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing for the benediction. Gracious Father, once again, we just praise you. We thank you. We ask that you continue to bless us. Allow your blessings to fall on these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We will now have a video shown to us. Amen.
My name is William Cox, and I am the president of the Allegheny West Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. I, along with my executive officers, uh, Robert Moore, who is the secretary, Zenobia Seawood, who is the treasurer, along with our department heads and staff, wish you a very happy and prosperous new year. I am enamored with family. This is LaTanya, uh, my wife of 33 years. God has blessed us to have three wonderful children. Uh, this is Letitia and her husband, uh, Shadid, and their bundle of joy, Sydney. Hi, Sydney. All right. Then this is uh, William Jr., and this is Lauren. Uh, over to my left is Jamal. And Anita, hi Jamal and Anita, and JJ, the man. Those of you that have known me for a while will know that we have another special family member and his name is Bear. He is a 10-year-old English massive and he is a wonderful companion. Because I love family so much, my vision for Allegheny West is that we will become family. Our theme for 2013 is we are family. That is inclusive of all of the members of the Allegheny West uh, Conference, the 66 churches, the 36 pastors, the bivocational workers, the volunteers, and each one of you. When I think about family, I think of family as an acronym. And that's what I'd like to share with you as our overall theme for 2013. And we've looked at family as an acronym. The F represents faith. Faith is literally what ties us all together. Our belief in Jesus Christ. Our belief that he, he died on Calvary for the remission of our sins. The process of justification, sanctification, and then glorification. That is what literally ties us all together as the family of God. But it's not just the F, but then there is the A. A represents acceptance. Acceptance of every man, woman, boy, and girl. This gospel of the kingdom is to preach, to be preached into all the world as a witness. And it is open to everyone. 
whether you are short or whether you are tall, whether you are big or whether you are small, whether you are educated or uneducated, your color does not matter. The fact that you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your personal savior tells us that you are now a part of the family and you are accepted. Then there is the M. M stands for mission. Jesus' last command was, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come. We have a mission to share with others that Jesus...